Hello and welcome to Very Excellent Habits, the podcast that helps you create little habits for a big life. I'm Carly Jacobs, writer and mostly sensible habit maker. I begin today by acknowledging the traditional custodians of the land on which I record today and pay my respects to their elders past and present. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land. So I am a sucker for time saving tips. If there's someone on Instagram who's like, oh, here's a hack that'll save you time. I'm like, go on, I'm listening. So I am absolutely delighted to have Amantha Imber of Inventium and How I Work podcast as a guest today. If you have never listened to How I Work, get it in your ears. She has some mega high profile guests, including Michael Mosley and Abby Jacobson from Broad City and heaps of other amazing people. And she chats to them about how they work, how they get stuff done, their processes, their habits. It's a fantastic podcast. So Amantha has a new book coming out called TimeWise, and she's on the show today to talk about it. So you have a book out, uh, it is called TimeWise and I was lucky enough to get an early copy and it's not surprisingly very, very awesome, but can you tell us in your own words what it's all about and what inspired you to write it? It was inspired from my podcast, How I Work, which I've been doing for nearly four years now where I interview many of the world's most successful people from entrepreneurs, CEOs, musicians, actors, chefs, all sorts of people, and try to understand what are the different strategies and hacks and tactics that they're using to get so much out of the time that they have. Because we've all got the same amount of time, but these hugely successful people seem to have used theirs particularly wisely. And so I explore that on the podcast and to get all the strategies from the podcast that would be hundreds of hours of listening and I thought wouldn't it be cool to to select my favorite tips that I've heard from guests and put them in a book because that's so much easier to digest and extract different tactics and that is what the book is so it's about a hundred different ways that are quite uh quirky and sometimes counterintuitive but all very very impactful to use your time more wisely. So do you find that with all of the different people that you interview, do you find that there are certain personality types that fit into certain careers or do you think that they're just kind of spread out across the board? Oh, I don't know about personality types, but I think the thing that they have in common is that they're very conscious with how they use their time. I think that a a, a lot of people are quite reactive when it comes to thinking about their week and particularly their work week. You know, things get put in the calendar, you People are in their inbox all the time. They're reacting to the emails that they're getting. But it's not often that people think proactively, consciously, deliberately about how they use their time. And I think that that would be definitely something that these people have in common. So have you ever come across someone who's just like accidentally very successful with no real systems or anything? <laughs> uh, hmm. I I don't think so. Not that they've admitted to me. (laughs) Right. Maybe retroactively coming up with some cool tips for you to talk about on the podcast. That's right. So very, very early on in the book, you mentioned that your company Inventium has trialed the four-day work week and you found that productivity increased by 26% and it's now a permanent feature in your company. And that was proven to me because I emailed your assistant, Hannah, who's wonderful, on a Friday and I got an automated email that was like, we don't work on Fridays at Inventium. So there was, it was the proof in the pudding right there. Uh, Can you tell us more about that? And are you still doing it? And does your staff love it? 
<laughs> so what the four-day week is, for those that are not familiar, it's not four really long days to fit in to cram 40 hours into four days. What it is, is uh, all my staff at Inventium are paid a full-time salary, so 100% remuneration, but they work 80% of the time. So four normal length days per week, eight-hour days or seven-and-a-half-hour days, and the expectation is that they will be 100% productive, so produce the outcomes or output that a full-time staff member would produce. So that is the concept. We started, we, we ran an experiment for six months back in July, 2020, uh, you know, when the pandemic had hit and the world of work was all chaotic. And we thought like, what can we do to really create a great work experience for our team in amongst all this pretty horrible and unsettling stuff that is going on in the world. So we trialed the four day week for six months and the results were amazing. As, as you mentioned, productivity increased yet we we're working less hours, uh, but also things like engagement, which was already very high, became even higher, ridiculously high. I think we're in the top percentile for management consulting uh, as an industry um, and stress levels reduced, energy levels increased, um, all sorts of things because we tracked a lot of data. And how so, did you actually track the data? Like what was your, what was your process for proving that this worked? Yeah, sure. Well, look, as, um, as an organizational psychologist myself, and we've got several psychs on the team, we, uh, we, we're very reliant on, on survey data and self-report data as psychologists love, but it's a really accurate way of seeing mm. how are people feeling and how are people going. And then, of course, with financial metrics, it's very straightforward. So obviously, we didn't want the company to go backwards financially. Uh, but what we actually found is that we met our financial goals earlier than we thought we would. Oh, so yeah, very good. So we made the four-day week permanent at the end of 2020. And so now we're recording this in June, 2022. So it's been two years since we've been running it and it would be very hard to go back to a normal five-day week. Yeah, it's just, I've done so much research on the uh, the benefits of the four-day work week and there are so many companies that want to do it and the 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 proof is in the pudding. It's right there. Like you, everyone knows how great it is. And I, I haven't heard of many companies that tried it and it was awful. And then they stopped doing it. Every company I know that's tried it, that has continued doing it yet. It's still such a weird niche thing that everyone just still seems so scared of. It's so true. People are very nervous. I think leaders and, and senior management are very nervous. I don't think there's too many employees that are particularly nervous. Although Stress can come from going, I'm so busy in a five-day week. How am I going to fit five days into four? But then that's where really good productivity and time management strategies come into play. And, you know, as a consultancy inventium, we teach our clients how to work more productively and work smarter and use time better. So we're using a lot of those strategies already, but we really doubled down on those things when we move to the four day week. And again, we're, we're able to get significant productivity gains. Um, so yeah, I don't know too many bad news stories of companies that have done the four day week. Yeah, definitely. And it's like my, my partner and I both work for ourselves and have done for about six years. And we tend to not do eight hour work days because you only really have to do eight hour work days if someone's watching you work. So when we do, I can get enough work done in a day in five hours it's just that, that those extra three hours that people are kind of pretending to work because you just don't have it in you to work 
eight hours without actually having any sort of, you know, fake break time or wasting time, which you obviously know because that kind of cleared up when you uh, implemented the four-day work week. Absolutely. No one is productive on Friday afternoons. No, absolutely not. (laughs) So can you talk to us about goal setting versus uh, systems? Because that came up quite a bit in the book. It does. So one of the people I interviewed a little while ago on the How I Work podcast was Professor Adam Alter, who's at uh, NYU. Um, over in America, although he's actually an Aussie originally. Uh, Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. And so he has thought a lot about how he achieves things and approaches tasks and projects in his life. And what he said to me is he said, goal setting is inherently broken. So you think about setting a goal, even if it's a SMART goal or whatever acronym we're using at the moment, and until you achieve that goal, like let's just say it's write a book, you are failing until you hit that goal. So you're failing, 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 failing until the book is finally written and then you've hit the goal. But as humans, we're not very good at sort of sitting and reveling in our success. We just move on and set another goal and go back to a failure state. And that is inherently very demotivating. And so what Adam does is he thinks about systems. So what does he need to do regularly, say every day, to hit the goal, to to hit the end point that he's set. So in the example of writing a book, his system might be, I'm going to write 500 words a day, every day for this number of days. And if I do that, I will reach that end point. But with a system, you're not failing every day. You're sticking to the system. And because 500 words a day is a very achievable goal when it comes to writing a book, you're able to feel really good about the progress that you're making. Yeah, I love that. That's um, I've got a, a a friend of mine who is a filmmaker, and I think this is kind of like a, a cultural reason why we end up stuck on this um kind of detrimental goal setting thing. So he's a filmmaker, and he'll spend two years working on a film, and then it gets released, and he'll be like at a festival talking about it, and people always ask him, "Well, what's next?" And he's like, "I." I just did that thing. Like that took two years, that thing that you just watched. Like, can you give me a minute to breathe? And it's, it's the same across the board, like musicians, every time they release an album, all the press is like, well, what's next? And they're like, I I just did the thing. Like, it's just that constant cultural, well, we want more, like we want more of the thing that you're doing. So yeah, it's, um, it's good to kind of break that down into everyday little habit of like, like, like little tiny bits that you can do and definitely succeed every day, which I absolutely love. Mm -hmm. Uh, can we talk about the section on connection uh, with things like um, the unsolicited gifts that you were talking about and making emails funnier, which I'm a massive fan of? Um, and yeah, can you talk more to the importance of the connection in working relationships? Well, in a way, connection is everything. And if we look at what motivates people at work, one of my favorite theories of motivation is self-determination theory. And that says there are three main drivers of motivation, there's autonomy. So um, feeling a sense of freedom and choice in what we do. There's mastery. So, you know, working on tough challenges and feeling like we're learning and growing and there's connection. So connecting with other humans. And so the section on connection is, is really important in terms of how can we form better relationships with people and, you know, also in a business sense, like this, you know, a lot of people think about networking and how can they expand their network? So there's certainly a few chapters there about how to make networking better and easier if you 
hate networking. And less icky as well. And less icky, absolutely. Because, I mean, you know, networking kind of sucks. It's really awful. (laughs) Yeah, but we're told that we have to do it to get ahead in our career. So there's some good tips from uh, several of my guests about how how to do networking better so it doesn't suck so much. So I also love the bit about making a joke of serious work. So I work with a lot of different clients. It's just an example. So I have a code word that I include in their docs so that I can find them easily. Um, And one client and I decided years ago to use the word scrotum as her word. So, and honestly, it brought us so much joy to the fairly beige work that I was doing for her. Um, So can you talk about like ways humor has worked in, in your business and how that has helped it flourish? Uh, we think about this a lot and certainly as a leader I'm very mindful like if I if I'm giving say a keynote presentation which I do a lot of in my work I mean it's not enough just to provide good content you have to be engaging and entertaining I mean anyone can just google good content really let's face it or they can read a book Um, so I you know for example when I'm thinking about crafting my presentations and and this is a lot easier when it's face-to-face as opposed to virtual. I will be listening to things like laughs per minute and, um, and I'll often record presentations and listen back to where are the flat spots and where is it lacking emotional engagement from the audience. And, and I'll, and I'll think, well, I need, I need another piece of, I need to inject more humor into this section because it feels a bit flat and not lively enough. So I'll, I'll do kind of nerdy things like that, but what's, what's um, your minimum laugh per minute? Uh, look, I feel like there needs to be at least one laugh per minute, which, (laughs) uh, uh, yeah. So otherwise, you know, it's, it's it's flat. Yeah. Um, I don't know what it is for stand-up comedians. I imagine it's probably more than that, but (laughs) as, as a non-stand-up comedian keynote speaker, I, I feel like that is, very necessary and maybe if I get like three laughs in one minute I can have the next minute without yeah just some sort of a verbal reaction from the audience yeah yeah I can I can ride off those three laughs from the previous minute (laughs) uh but otherwise that we use humor so something uh so we do we do a lot of surveys so something that Inventium does is we run the Australian Financial Review's best places to work list and their most innovative companies list and a big part of those competitions is survey data and asking employees to respond to surveys and no one likes responding to surveys and but we we need to get high response rates to make sure that the data that we've got is a a valid representation and fair as well yeah absolutely and so we have found that inserting funny memes into the survey at various points actually does a lot for increasing survey completion rates. Oh, of course it would. Yeah. So we we experiment with all sorts of stuff like that. And I mean, humor is just critical to business, I think. How do you feel about like people who might not necessarily mesh well with a kind of jovial, kind of silly, like kind of vibe in, in an office working environment? I would wonder why they don't. I mean, <laughs> where is that coming from? Who doesn't like to laugh? I mean, that's that's silly. It's like someone saying, "Oh, no, that don't 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 take me to a comedy show. I would really just prefer to not laugh or enjoy myself tonight." That's weird. And so I think then it's probably based on uh, expectations that they're putting on themselves that work has to be serious and if I crack a joke, I might lose 
credibility in the face of my manager. So I think that there's internal expectations about yourself and also maybe it's the culture that you're in. Maybe you're in a culture where humour is seen as juvenile, for example. Yeah. Uh, in which case, find another workplace. Um, <laughs> this maybe. one's not for you. This one's not for you, yeah. Do you have, um, have you noticed that since, sorry, I'm just going, I'm just circling back to the four-day work week. Have you found that your turnover has reduced in staff since the four-day work week? Yeah, it is one of the things that we measure. So we're, we're a small team, there's 11 of us. Mm-hmm. And I think our average tenure is around about four years, which is quite phenomenal because most of the team are millennials and statistically speaking, millennials stay in a job, I think for a couple of years before they move yeah. on and ex- like, you know, go somewhere else. Uh, <laughs> so that, um, so I am so happy with that. And it just makes such a difference when you've got great people that you've worked with for many years, um, you know, just the, the trust is there, the connection is there, you've, you know, you've got the sort of verbal shortcuts, uh, you, you know how to work well together. So it really does make such a difference. Um, you know, obviously getting fresh blood into a company is great as well, uh, but that has definitely been a benefit. Yeah, because it's like training people and everything is just so time consuming and money consuming. And if you can get people to stick around with little things like that, then, you know, that's a pretty sweet deal. Uh, Are you able to leave us with two quick and dirty tips for people who need to get better at time management? Sure. Uh, So I would say that one thing that people should do is they should do something called working to their chronotype. So for people that haven't come across the idea of a chronotype, based on a huge body of research into circadian rhythms, but in simple terms, it's the peaks and troughs of our energy levels over a 24 hour period. And we're all different. Broadly speaking, there are three types of chronotypes. There's larks who are stereotypical morning people. They get out of bed, you know, between 5 and 6 a.m. without an alarm. A.m. I should definitely a.m. And their peak brain power typically around sort of 7 to 10 a.m. Then there's owls at the other end of the spectrum. Owls, as the name suggests, come to life at night, like in the evening is when they're going to do their best work, when most offices and schools are closed. And then everyone else is a middle bird. So operate on the schedule of a lark just delayed by a couple of hours. So generally their peak brain power is between nine and 12. So about 80% of the population are larks or middle birds. Um, It's a a normal sort of distribution curve, if you like. And what I find with a lot of the clients that we work with at Inventium is that mornings, most of the day, are filled with meetings. And particularly, you know, what's the first meeting that a lot of teams have? in the beginning of the day, it's like an updates meeting or a stand-up meeting or a work in progress meeting. So something that doesn't require a lot of brain power, but it's eating into really precious time when it comes to how well our brain is working at that hour of the day. So uh, one piece of advice, proactively structure your day based on your chronotype. Um, I can send you a link to pop in the show notes so that people can self-assess what chronotype are they, and then structure their day accordingly. And then just uh, a little hack. I think that most people uh, unfortunately suffer from digital distractions when they're trying to do deep focused work. And uh, I got this tip. This is in the book, Time Wise. And this is from Tim Kendall, who used to be the president of Pinterest. And now he's the CEO of Moment, which is a 
and app design to get you using your phone less. Something he tried a little while ago is he was trying to use his phone less and he bought what is called a K-safe, which is a tool that dieters use to lock away treats like chocolate and cookies and stuff when they're trying to diet and be healthy. And he thought, I'm going to get one of those, but I'm going to use it for my phone. And so he would put his phone in the K-safe uh, overnight so we couldn't access it um, sort of from dinner time through to breakfast and also for several hours at a time on weekends and he found that that really helped him uh, kick um, some unhealthy mobile phone behaviors so there are a couple of strategies I have two things. I have one of those safes and I do use it for my phone. I did accidentally lock it in there. I meant to lock it in there <laughs> for an hour and 50 minutes, but I accidentally locked it in for 15 hours. Oh my God. And I couldn't get it out without breaking it. So I had all these friends like texting me because I've got an Apple watch. It was coming through on my watch. So I had to get my partner to send texts to people. It was a nightmare. Anyway, just be very, very careful to double check that you've set it for an hour and a half and not 15 hours. Um, and secondly, uh, what's your chronotype? I'm a lark, although moving towards a middle bird since uh, the pandemic. So I would naturally wake mm, at, at about 6.30. That's my right. natural wake time. So lark-ish, I would say. Yeah, mm. I'm definitely middle bird. Like <laughs> I would never get up before seven unless I absolutely had to. Fair enough. Just, yeah, not my thing. So I like to finish the show with a little segment called Kicked My Ass and Kick Ass, where we share something that kicked our ass this week and something that we kicked ass at. So my kicked ass this week is that I went to the dark side with a purchase that I wanted a refund on and it was $60. So it wasn't a totally insignificant amount of money, um, but it wasn't like $500. And I eventually got a partial refund for it and I was totally entitled to one, but I wasted so much time time doubling down to get that <laughs> refund. And it was so silly. And I'm really happy that I got the refund, but the dollar per hour that I wasted on emailing this person and them just being really unreasonable and then worrying about it and stewing over it. And just like, I really, I, I went really quite not very mentally well over <laughs> this. So I got it in the end, but yeah, that was, uh, that was not my finest moment last <laughs> week. So what, what kicked your ass this week? Oh my gosh, my shoulder. So I've had this recurrent, uh, ongoing, not recurrent, shoulder injury. Um, this has been very minor, but it just hasn't gone away. This is for eight or nine months. And I've seen physios and done various exercises, but nothing got rid of it. So finally I went to see um, a, a sports physician doctor person and she said, oh, we should get an MRI. And so that was the first MRI I've Oh, to wow. get with, and I was quite nervous about getting the MRI. They're I, scary. I, yeah, and it's funny. In the survey before the MRI, they say, "Are you claustrophobic?" Yes, no, or maybe. And I'm like, I don't, I don't know if I'm claustrophobic. I've never been in an MRI machine, so I just ticked maybe. But I don't think they did anything differently because of that. But I did. Um, they they do in, in this particular place where I went. Uh, they they let you listen to some Spotify music. So I picked the genre of 80s and so that was enjoyable and uh I did get the MRI report today and I don't think I need shoulder surgery so I can um uh I can not get that but I'm seeing the doctor tomorrow to understand what rehab I need to do to get back into proper 
weightlifting. So yeah, I'm I'm in shock over the whole claustrophobic thing. Like, what if you tick yes? They're kind of like, well, tough luck. You have to do it anyway. I know, I know. I was uh, I was saying this to my partner. I'm like, what would they have done? Drugged me or what? Uh, So that was that was very strange. Yeah. If there's any medical people listening that are are around MRIs or run them, if you let us know what actually happens if you tick the I am claustrophobic (laughs) box, if they have anything that they can do for you. So uh, my kicked ass this week is that I managed to find a perfect Instagram influencer partner for a client of mine. And I cannot tell you how hard it has been to find someone because there are so many snakes out there with fake followers who are really obviously part of comment pods. And I've become an expert in the last couple of weeks of figuring out if people have fake followers or a part of comment pods. Um, if anybody wants an episode on that, just shout out and I'll let you know how to find if someone has a fake following. Um, so I had to vet about a hundred applications before I found this person and they're amazing. So that's really good. So what did you kick up set this week? Oh, wow. I want that episode, Carly. That sounds fascinating. (laughs) Uh, I'll send you, I did a report on how to find out if someone is part of comment pods or if they have like a disingenuous following. I'll, I'll send it to you. I've done a report on it. Oh, that would be fab. Um, So I kicked ass because my my eight-year-old daughter had COVID and I did not catch it from her. So that was great. Granted, I did have COVID about six weeks ago. So I do have, um, I think, still superpowers from an immunity point of view, but um, I was very happy not to get it again. And I was also very happy that my daughter had it pretty mild. So (sighs) feeling good about that. What a blessing. We were quite sick a couple of like about a month ago, like like all of us really sick and we did rats and PCRs and we did not have COVID. We just had something that looked very much like COVID, but wasn't COVID. It was very strange. Oh no. <laughs> well, thank you so much for being on the show. It's been an absolute blast. Thank you. Thanks so much, Carly. That's it for this week. Thank you for listening to Very Excellent Habits, the podcast that helps you create little habits for a big life. I'm Carly Jacobs. You can find me on Instagram at Very Excellent Habits. You can also email me contact at carlyjacobs.com. You can also record a question for me to answer on the show at speakpipe.com forward slash Very Excellent Habits. For all the resources that you hear about on the show, you can grab them at patreon.com forward slash Very Excellent Habits. Also, please don't forget to leave a rating and a review. It's the best way to help other people find the podcast. Until next time, remember, little habits, big life.